Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Defense Deconstructed on the CGAI Podcast Network. I'm your host and president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Dave Perry. On today's show, which we're recording March 31st, 2022, we're speaking with Elliot Hughes, who's a senior advisor at Summa Strategies and the former uh, director of policy for the Minister of National Defense, Harjit Sajjan. And prior to that, deputy director of policy for tax at the Department of Finance uh, under Finance Minister Bill Morneau. Today, we're going to be speaking about what we can expect uh, from the April 7th, 2022 federal budget. This episode of Defense Deconstructed is brought to you by the Halifax Shipyard. Elliot, welcome to Defense Deconstructed. Thanks for having me, Dave. So we got a big budget um, coming up uh, in just a week's time here. Uh, big in, in several senses, probably, because the moment we're in right now fiscally is, is pretty different than the situation Canada had historically been in with, with debt levels coming out of the pandemic. We've got a situation where interest rates uh, are on the march going up, uh, and we also have inflation now running at uh, multi-decade highs. Just set, up, set the frame. We're going to get to the defense uh, discussion at the end, but from a, you've worked in the finance minister's office. Characterize the situation that this budget is being made in now, uh, and what kind of big big picture items you think the finance minister is trying to grapple with as they're landing this budget for next week. Well, I think you uh, you painted um, a pretty dire picture, but unfortunately, it's pretty accurate. Um, as you say, there's economic challenges. Um, there's uh, health challenges. I think in some parts of the country, we're entering a sixth wave of COVID. Um, and there is, of course, um, defense and security challenges that um, are emerging, I would say, uh, you know, in a very, very real way in parts of Europe. Um, um, and, and that all makes for a very challenging situation for Minister Freeland as she puts together a budget. Typically, when um, you, you, you enter into the enter into budget season, you, you'd like to try and develop a frame of mind or a frame of reference, sort of a, a grounding position um, in which your decisions, policy decisions can flow from. That was probably a little bit more clear um, after Christmas and before the war in Ukraine. Um, but the war in Ukraine, I think, has, has really dramatically changed things, uh, I would suggest, on, the, on par with something like 9-11. Uh, as it's impacted us in, in so many different ways and will continue to do so. And so the government, I think, is likely, and, and now that they've set the budget for next week, I'm sure they've landed on this, but they were probably debating between two frames. One, I would think, is we live in an uncertain time. Um, you know, the world is dangerous. We need to secure our borders at home and keep Canadians safe. Uh, as well as make sure that we're taking care of, of what's going on internationally and, and keeping, you know, helping keep the world safe versus the other frame being we're coming out of COVID. Uh, you know, the economy is doing well, but also kind of weird. Um, what's the post COVID um, economy going to look like and how do we jumpstart our economies to start paying down some of the, the investments or, uh, or debt that we've had to incur uh, and deficits that we have uh, from dealing with the COVID pandemic. So uh, I would imagine th those are the two narratives that were going back and forth. We'll see if they've decided to blend those in some way, um, or if they stick with one of the two, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch and we'll, we'll know more on April 7th. So the other uh, big change that we saw in the, just the last couple of weeks is the new arrangement. However, we want to describe that between the Liberal, federal liberal party and the new democratic party. How do you stir that into that mix? 
Well, I think there's a couple things. First, it provides certainty to government uh, and to Canadians in, in I think, uncertain times. I think that is welcomed. Um, there was always, every time there was a budget or every time, you know, when the new conservative leader comes in in the fall, they were going to begin most likely to rattle that election cage and to put the NDP and to squeeze the NDP into a position of should they support the government or should they help bring the government down? The Conservatives, I think, were eager to, um, to for the latter, to, to challenge uh, Mr. Trudeau uh, with the new Conservative leader. What the deal does or what the agreement, the supply and confidence agreement does is, is take that away. And I think, you know, frankly, I think Conservatives are quietly quite pleased um, because it's going to force them to uh, do some hard thinking about policy candidates uh, and fundraising, but specifically to what the NDP liberal deal means for for government. Look, you've got some really big ticket items in that agreement. Um, pharmacare, or at least partial partial pharmacare, uh, is not going to be cheap. Uh, dental care, I think a, a number that I saw floating around was an initial investment of one and a half billion, but probably more like four, five, six billion ongoing. Um, you've got other commitments in there as well uh, around housing, which I, I expect to, to, to see more of in the budget. That all adds up to a lot more spending um, in, a, in, a, in an era or in an environment where I, I think Minister Freeland is, is hoping to try and trim that down. We'll see whether or not a lot of the commitments found in that Liberal NDP agreement make their way into this year's budget. My, my suspicion is it won't, but these are some, uh, you know, some of it will, but most of it we'll, we'll see over the next couple of years. So that agreement, I think, on the one hand, provides certainty uh, and sort of calmness to the election calendar and, and, and general politics in some ways um, with you know, removing the threat of the, an election. Um, but on the other hand, it adds even more fiscal pressure uh, to the government and, and government books as they try to deal with, you know, what is, I think, fair to say, a, a pretty big fiscal mess at this point. And in successive years, the Trudeau government has adopted different measures to, to sort of guide fiscal policy, to, to set limits on spending. Um, they've variously taken on different, different names. The most recent one was fiscal guardrails. There's been some commentary uh, lately about you know, to the extent to which those guardrails are going to keep any particular car on a road uh, or whether or not they're going to continue to evolve. You were just laying out um, a whole series of fiscal pressures. I guess, what, what type of constraints do you see there being uh, in the aggregate, whatever the spending goes towards, whether or not social programs or defense, what are the, the kind of the, the guideposts for how much additional fiscal spending uh, is possible? Because I think that we've quite clearly seen the last several months that there's no shortage of asks. Um, there probably never is, uh, but at this particular moment in time, I mean, you, you can start adding up the multiple tens of billions of dollars pretty quickly. What do you think are, are the limits of the possible at the moment, given where the economy is and all those other factors that we touched on? Uh, it's a great question. I, I don't know if I'm going to have a great answer for it. Um, I think the government has shown that they have very ambitious um, uh, goals when it comes to programs, particularly social programs. But to be fair, they've also spent, you know, in other areas like defense, and we can get into that uh, a little bit later. But as to whether or not, or as to whether there are any fiscal guardrails in place, I would say if there are, 
they are extremely flexible at this point. Um, and I haven't seen from the government a very clear articulation or desire to have very fixed guardrails and to explain in great detail what those guardrails mean in hard numbers uh, and how they will enforce those in the years to come. That, that might change in this year's budget from, from what I gather. Uh, there is a strong desire from Minister Freeland, uh, the finance minister, to, to try and, and do that. Um, but uh, as was the case when I was in, in the finance minister's office, and as you just rightly pointed out, it, it's very challenging. Um, you, you always have asks. There are always things to, to do. And when you have a government who is ambitious on social programs because they feel as though there are still many Canadians who are being left behind in, in a variety of areas, um, healthcare included, um, you know, those all add up. Uh, and if you decide not to raise taxes um, uh, in any serious way, or at least review the tax system to perhaps, um, you know, uh, make it a little bit more with the time, so to speak, um, and you're purely on economic growth, but economic growth in an environment and a global economy that is, you know, wonky, I would say at best, you know, you're going you're gonna to end up in a position where you're going to be spending a lot more money uh, and not taking as much money in. And, and that's, I think, where we find ourselves. We'll see whether or not uh, the course, uh, a new course, let's call it, can be set uh, next week. So switch gears and, and talk about defense. Let's start with your thoughts about how the Department of Finance thinks about defense. Um, so without getting into any specifics, but how, how does defense factor into the thinking of our finance ministry? Well, I, I think the, the, the baseline or the, the, the founding document is obviously strong, secure, engaged. Um, I think the, the folks at finance see that as this government made, um, you know, I think some could say a historic commitment or a very, very large commitment to the Department of Defense. Um, it is a long-term commitment. Uh, it's a 20-year plan. And everyone knows, especially uh, folks at Finance Canada, that defense spending never really is what it is supposed to be every year. Uh, and so you need to be able to roll within that plan, so to speak, and you need to be able to reprofile and there will be lapses and projects will come and go, new governments will come in uh, and so on. So I think folks at finance are um, very aware and, and conscious of the dynamics that play out in defense, particularly around defense procurement. Um, I think we've talked about this before, um, you know, the, the government has made significant investments in D&D um, &D, uh, in the past, you know, couple of fiscal updates and budgets since SSE, sort of quietly, and that's maybe something that we can get into because I think it's an interesting dynamic. Um, so I don't think that the 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 um, the officials at Finance Canada are necessarily opposed or have some antipathy towards. Uh, national defense. They understand that the the world of defense is challenging. That new crises emerge. And that defense procurement is challenging, um, and and I think they are you know essentially waiting to take the lead from their sort of uh, the, the politicians in charge to to set the tone and to set the agenda, um, and are happy to work with defense officials um, 
you know, with the bumps in the road that come uh, with any investment in defense. So in terms of some of those bumps in the road, my take on what you're, you're talking about, there's, there's unpredictability, I guess, in some of that defense spending year to year in the sense that um, there's a lot of moving parts uh, that can make big differences in whether or not a billion or $2 billion get spent in any particular year, um, which for the Department of National Defense's budget, that's not uh, massive money, but that is the entire departmental appropriation for other departments and entities in government. Yeah. So you, you can have small variations in, in, in a percentage term in defense, but because of the magnitude of where spending is at, um, that provides some, some fluctuation that, that's bigger. And, and that's led to special rules about defense and how much they could carry forward because yep. 5% of what's now $26 billion is obviously a lot more fiscally significant than 5% yep. of a couple hundred million dollar budget line item. And then I guess from your appreciation, so you worked at a lot of periods where we were launching the plan that's got us to where we are today, uh, which on my math is that inflation and adjusted dollars, we are spending in historically high yeah. amount of money on defense since basically the, the Korean War, the capital spending, um, those long-term investment uh, purchases, that's also basically back to uh, an inflation-adjusted historical high. And as you mentioned, you know, very quietly since Trump's secure engaged, there's been a commitment of up to about $15 billion in combined budget initiatives between yep. the 20, 2020 fall economic statement, then the last budget, you know, what year it's in, time frame, all, all that yeah. stuff gets messed here with defense. But an already large department, um, you know, sort of historically fitting in within a, between about a fifth and a quarter of overall direct program spending is now at a historically high level. And the trajectory, even without any new, new money uh, to come in the budget April 7th, has it continuing to grow for the foreseeable future. Yep. Do you have a sense of how that, so that trend line, which I think some people all have tended to miss, has been on an upward slope for some time now. Um, with all the comments you made about the Department of Finance respecting what's on at defense, that has to be an increased concern today in terms of how they're managing the fiscal position of the government of Canada and taking on greater importance just because there's more money going there than there would have been, say, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Absolutely. And, and you laid it out well there. I was reading the, as, as you know, political Ottawa nerds do, the, the recent PBO report um, on defense spending and you know, the readjustment. And this line, and this point's really struck out and, and stuck out to me. Plan spending in 27-28 is at least three times higher uh, than capital expenditure in any given year over the past two decades. So two decades is so 2002, so post 9-11, and, you know, Afghanistan, our involvement there. What we were doing there, we're in, th in three or four years, or five years, we're going to be spending three times as much we, you know, so, you, you know, you, you speak about the challenges and the amount of money that's flowing through defense. There's a lot right now. This is going to increase, I think, 30 to 40 percent, uh, I think, in around that area in the next three, four, five years. The, the fact of the matter is, and you'll know this better than anyone, Dave, is the system that we have set up right now in government is ill-equipped and unable to handle the current amount of money flowing through the system and the expected output that it, that's meant to generate and, and, and what we're supposed to build and buy and so on. So 
one would think, well, then shouldn't we do something about that? Because in five years time, it's going to be 30 to 40% higher than that. And I would say absolutely. But, and this gets into, I think, more of the, the, the political side of it and, 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 a, and a discussion I'm sure that we can sort of dive into, which is in order to do that, you need leadership and not, I don't mean Winston Churchill leadership. I mean, leadership as in, this is a problem. We want to fix it. We are going to make this part of our agenda and we are going to spend time in our day trying to tackle this um, and, and, and try and fix it. I remember, you know, working, you know, with Bill Morneau at finance, his big thing was, you know, are we going to spend time on this? Uh, like, is, are we going to dedicate hours in our day or time in our day next week, in, the, in a month, in, a, in six months, in a year to deal with X issue? And Because if you do, then that's important to you. And if you don't, then it probably doesn't deserve to be focused on. And um, the question is, does the government, does, does this government, because they are going to be in government for the next three or four years, these three and a half years till 2025, does this government take this issue on in any serious way? And, and to your point, you know, it's, it's, becoming, it's becoming harder and harder to avoid looking at because there are going to be so much, there's going to be so much money flowing through that department. Um, and I can't imagine that eyeballs are not going to grow a little bit bigger looking at the size of that spending there when you add in all of the other things that the government also wants to spend money on. And all of a sudden, those you know, if the economy doesn't go the right way and, you know, our economic growth isn't where the projections are, there's going to be a lot of questions around, you know, around government and around town of, from people saying, well, where are we spending all of this money and, and how are we doing? Um, and, and I think it's incumbent on, you know, maybe the Minister of National Defense or other folks in the, in the defense community to, to really say, look, it, in order to protect this support that the government has provided the Defense Department and the men and women of the armed forces, in order to make sure that that stays and doesn't get taken away from us, we need to start actually spending this in a in a, in a real way and, and start showing progress and delivering on, on these commitments. Or else when times get tough, um, you know, folks are going to start looking around for some money um, and there's a whack of it uh, sitting at national defense. How do you think that shapes how finance thinks about the current discussion about adding additional money? And as, as a preface, so there's some there's talk now about whether or not Canada could go to two uh, percent of GDP or not. Um, different perspectives on whether or not that's the right tar target, you know, what whether or not that's meaningful. But there's at least a lot of discussion on it. Uh, that would be a significant injection of new money. By my math, if you were to do it uh, the fiscal year the budget's going to be launched in something like 16 17 billion dollars and then it depends on how the economy grows what year you're going to go uh, and do that and the parliamentary budget officer um, has talked about 2025 20, billion which if you assume that our economy uh, is going to grow and um, let's cross our fingers that that's going to be the case um, but either way big big additional investments Absolutely. over and above what you're just talking about is a trajectory that's going to see big big additional investments yeah. if you're the department of finance and you're thinking, just as you had laid out, that unless you're going to devote time to this issue, you're going to continue to have, even within the existing fiscal plan, big chunks of that money that don't go out as intended. 
how would they think about the possibility of adding 16 or 20 or 25 billion dollars and you know that depends on the year and all the fine details on that but does that give them confidence that you know we could talk about doubling that number but unless we're going to spend time to actually move it and to get that money out the door what's how much is it reasonable to think that we could actually get spending in the in the near or medium term well, the, the, the finance department and the prime minister's office don't tend to see eye to eye a lot. I think they might actually see eye to eye on this issue uh, in this case. I think the finance department probably realistically and quietly, maybe in some cases, are, are saying to themselves, this feels like we're throwing money away and then we're just throwing money into a little bit of a, of a big hole here um and and so i don't think they're actually too worried about the about trying to meet two percent because i don't think politically the prime minister's office and the prime minister himself are keen on meeting two percent and so i actually don't think they need to worry too much about that i could be wrong but um and we can talk about this a little bit later um, I, I don't see this prime minister's office living up to the 2% commitment. I see them talking a lot more about things like NORAD modernization, engagement in, 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 in NATO through, you know, people and leading battle groups uh, and things of that nature, rather than, as you say, spending, you know, 15 to 20 billion additional dollars a year, every year. You know, first of all, on that point, what would we buy? What we what would we build? Um, who is going to do that work? We have uh, an incredibly complicated procurement process in government. We have a very complex ITB policy in this country. You know, even saying so, saying it is one thing. Doing it, I think, would be near impossible. So, I actually think, on your point, where we should expect to see investments. Um, is in NORAD modernization, as I just mentioned. Um, the Minister of National Defense held a call with her counterpart, her US counterpart, a couple of days ago, um, post F-35 announcement on the, on the future fighter competition and updating him on that. And at the end of the statement, she said um, essentially that, I think it was, uh, Minister Nan reiterated her commitment to present a robust package to modernize NORAD in the short term. You don't put that in a statement and release that to the public without knowing that you are going to have investments in NORAD modernization in the short term. So this, you know, we, we have a commitment to NORAD. Our, the U.S. Uh, is our closest ally and partner and neighbor. Um, we have talked about NORAD modernization. There were investments in NORAD modernization, I believe, in Budget 2021, some significant investments as a down payment. There is shaking your head. Okay, we can we can talk about that. I mean, my small, maybe not the equivalent to a house down payment because it was small amounts compared to how much NORAD modernization is going to cost. So I, I take your point, um, but. Um, that I think is going to be where the uh, where the Trudeau government spends their, you know, spends both their, you know, their their money, but also try to cash us in and and build up some political capital. If you can make the Americans happy on defense and speak to NORAD modernization, 
I think that might take the sting away a little bit from the 2% and, and missing out on the 2% figure. I was shaking my head because the there's things can be significant uh, in terms of the um, materiality of the the type of investment and what it's doing, but it was only uh, a, a few hundred million dollars, which in the scheme of things, I suspect is going to be a very small down payment, not one that would qualify you for say a mortgage uh, insurance exemption in the Canadian analogy. Um, just to extrapolate a little bit more on, on the, the continental defense piece, yep. are there particular things? Uh, so would your expectation be that short term means the budget next week um, in terms of, of coming forward with something um, and talk a little bit about how you think that sits uh, politically? Because historically, liberal Canadian governments um, have had a bit of an unease about bilateral, bi binational defense cooperation in North America. Um, Ballistic missile defense uh, was an issue. Uh, cruise missile testing was an issue. And, and there's other examples going back historically. Overlaying that with the arrangement with the NDP, uh, do you think that it's, there's been enough behind this that this looks uh, relatively firm that something will happen, realizing that what that is is pretty uh, scalable up or down? Um, yeah. That's where you think the investment's going to go? I do. I do. I think the, uh, I think. Look, I think it would be hard for the government not to make some sort of investment in military spending and defense in this upcoming budget. It would, it would look sort of like, frankly, kind of like you're out of it, because as we said at the top of the the, the, the podcast, you know, my 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 sense is the world sort of has changed because of Ukraine. It's impacted uh, military spending. So you've got countries like Sweden, Denmark. Finland, Germany, all either saying that they're going to increase significantly in military spending or musing about it or musing about joining NATO uh, or you know, saying they're going to hit the 2% in a couple of years time. It's impacted energy uh, and the energy green transition um, you know, uh, and, and the geopolitics that, that follow from there. It's impacted global businesses uh, and global business um and how you know stressing a, a system a supply chain system even further so it, it is a very very sort of big moment and a lot of countries are stepping up to the plate uh, and you know and, and there's been some interesting articles around you know is mili military spending displacing esg environmental social and governments goals and uh you know as a as a, as a theme or as an uh, as a smart investment um which is a sort of an interesting turn of events. Um, so, so the government's going to have to do something. Um, my view is they're not going to do two percent because it is, it is too much money, for a government who doesn't, frankly, and we can get political here, see the political value, of spending that much money on defense. Their their voter base. Um, you know, tends not to care that much about military spending um, and cares more about things like dental, pharma, childcare, child benefit program, uh, the environment, uh, and so on. Um, so NORAD is, I think, you know, you can make the case that this is um, continental defense, sure, but it's also, I think, a, a time where Canadians are a lot more willing to accept the fact that we need to invest in defense and particularly as they relate it and you'll see you'll hear a lot about this when the government speaks about it the, the impact of climate change is having on the arctic um you know that 
politically is a vector that the government really likes because they can talk about something that they want to talk about, which is climate change and what they're doing to address it, and then have the defense piece play into that. Um, so, you know, I think also you've got a new president, president and President Biden um, negotiating with President Trump would have been a disaster. And I think it was one of the big reasons why the government didn't want to start discussing NORAD modernization in a real way. While Biden and uh, his cabinet um, and his government are a lot, um, perhaps the relationship hasn't been exactly where Canadians and maybe the Trudeau government has hoped, they are, I think, eons um, ahead of, of, of where things were with the Trump administration. There is a general consensus around the rules-based international order. Um, you know, they promote democracy, want to support democracies and so on and so forth. We can go down the list of, of where I think, you know, why the two are in simpatico. But um, I think negotiation with them is going to be a lot easier around NORAD modernization. And so it feels to me that that is kind of a sweet spot for the government to make their military investments in. But to kind of get back to what we were talking about earlier, it's not going to be cheap. I mean, you know, when I was in the minister's office, the minister of defense's office, and, you know, this was being kicked around and discussed, you know, some of the, some of the numbers are, are pretty staggering. Um, and there's a very, very wide uh, variance uh, in those dollar figures, which is probably the most terrifying part of the whole thing. Because when you've got a variance that runs from, say, 10 to 20, all the way up to 70, 80 billion, you know, I don't know many defense projects where it goes to the lower end of a variance uh, and, and a band. Yeah, there's been a number kicked around of about 10 or 11 billion. Um, and as far as I can tell, that would be the that would be the absolute floor uh, with, as you say, you know, lots of different ways to, to potentially yeah, is it over, solve this problem over years. So, yeah. Yeah. The last piece on this, just to go back to the comment you made, former finance minister Morneau's comment about are you going to invest the time? To go back to the earlier conversation about the trajectory defense is on now, how much money is moving, the difficulties the PBO had highlighted about how on an annual basis, what percentage of that um, allotted uh, cash is actually getting out the door with procurement issues, all, all those things. In addition to money for continental defense modernization, NORAD modernization, are you expecting to see an indicator that the government's going to put in the time to actually make sure the money moves? A couple of years ago, there was a commitment uh, to do Defense Procurement Canada, as an example. I, uh, I wasn't totally sold that that was the fix, but that was an indicator that, of a government that was going to spend time yep. on an issue. And then, of course, we had COVID, and that thus far seems to have gone nowhere. Are, are you expecting to see an indicator uh, that the government will commit the time to move the money? Well, first off, you've got, I think, with, with Minister Sajid, you had someone who had worn the uniform and who you know, understood the, the place very well. Um, but with, and, and I think there were some benefits and pluses and minuses to that dynamic. I think with the new minister, Minister Anand, I think what you've got is probably your, and I say your, I say the best shot with someone who is very smart, who is, you know, very driven and, you know, like she did when she was thrust into the role of procurement minister and had to procure vaccines. And there's you, you could make the case that we were in the top five countries in the world in terms of success 
doing that. I know everyone wanted their, I mean, remember those days of everyone wanting their vaccines? Well, I don't have my vaccine, but but she she de she delivered that uh, and 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 led that effort and and succeeded in a tremendous way, having never been a minister before, having never been a politician before. So if you think about that, I mean, it starts with again the leadership idea, and, and are you going to spend some time on it? I think you've got the right person leading the department to to do that and to give it the best shot it's going to have. Um, now um, there are many, many other cabinet ministers. There are many, many other priorities. Um, but um, you've got someone who, and I, and I think a time when defense, as you were saying at the top of the show, where the interest and the focus on defense issues is you know, almost unparalleled in, 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 in years and years and years. I mean, no one, I mean, no one's been spending this much time on, on an issue uh, like they are on Ukraine, and that has, has shone a light on the issue itself. And so you've got, I think, those two things working for you, which is one, a very competent, determined, and focused minister who wants to and sees success as, how do I hoist this department up? How do I demonstrate that it's working? Because that means that I'm doing a good job. Um, and I think there are other reasons behind that too. Um, and also uh, just the, the time in which we are in, the issue is top of mind. And so the ingredients are there for, for them to take this up and, and to, to see whether or not they're gonna spend time and focus on this. Um, but whether or not um, they do, um, I think we'll have to see. My gut, if you want it, or my opinion is, is and I'll be blunt, is no, I don't think so. Um, uh, because again, and we, you, we can get into this, this is not, and I hate to bring politics into this because these are really important matters, but that's just the reality of the situation. The politics of this are not you know, where they need to be for this liberal government. Um, you know, and it's interesting, I mean, we can just to keep prattling on a little bit, but so Prime Minister Harper uh, at the time uh, made it very clear that defense was something that he cared about. He was peering through binoculars to Russia. He was wearing flak jackets on the front lines. He was sitting down with the troops having, having lunch got those pictures, he, his investment in defense, you know, was not even close to where the, the not even close, the, the Trudeau liberals have invested a lot more in defense than, than he has. But when we think of defense, we don't think of the liberal government. We don't think of Justin Trudeau. We think of conservatives and we think of folks like Stephen Harper. Inversely, um, international development has, has never had as much um, investment international development has never had as much investment as it did under Harper. Um, and I think there was a perception, particularly in the international development community, the humanitarian community in Canada, that with Trudeau there, this global leader who's, you know, cares about the world, that he was going to make tremendous investments in, 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 in international development. And the fact is, I think if you ask a lot of people in that sector, they're, 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 they're quite disappointed in the, in the liberal government. Um, and yet he's still seen as someone who would, you know, as an international person who wants to support, you know, the global south and, and so on. So these, these the image, these ideas and these political brands are, are very difficult to, to, to reverse. 
And I guess the question that the that the liberal liberal internal liberal pollsters and the political minds there are saying, look, we've made all these investments and we, you know, should we talk about this more? A, will this you know help us, you know, get more success at the ballot box with the constituents that we want to reach? Or are we sort of, is this a losing battle in that, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, make a broad sweeping statement here, but does does Justin Trudeau have an ability to swing and sway middle-aged white male voters uh, who traditionally vote conservative uh, in many parts of the country over to his side by the through the use of you know saying how much we're investing how much the government's investing in defense, which would be the you know the I you know I think the the, the argument that you would make. My guess is probably not. Uh, and so these hard political decisions, I think, need to be made around whether or not it's 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 something that he's going to campaign on. And again, after my rambling answer, back to your original question, is it worth spending time on this? Well, Elliot, thanks for coming and sharing your perspective about fiscal landscape where we're, we're heading towards the budget um, in the lead up to budget day. Uh, last question to you. What are you reading? I tend to have a couple books on the go and depending on how I'm feeling, um, I, I pick one up. So I, I've actually got, I got four books on the go. The first one is a book called Future, The Future of Money, talking about decentralized finance and where we're gonna go with blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Still trying to, still trying to figure that one out um, and, 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 and see where, where it all goes. The other one, Crossroads by Jonathan Franzen, the latest book. Um, he's a great, great writer. Um, I'm a political junkie, so Mutual Contempt is a book by Jeff Shessel, which is about the relationship between LBJ and RFK and um, how much they hated each other and, and had to deal with that in those interesting days. And then the one I just finished, and I'm a hoops, hoops head, uh, Blood in the Garden, which is about the New York Knicks in the 1990s um, and um, sort of recounting with a lot of uh, funny tidbits and interviews uh, what those days were like. So those are the four books that I've either reading or just finished. Well, that's an eclectic mix. Uh, Elliot, thanks again for joining us uh, today on Defense Deconstructed. Thanks for having me, Dave. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Defense Deconstructed, part of the CGAI Podcast Network. If you like the show, please remember to rate us and leave a comment on your podcast app. And if you like your stuff, please feel free to check out our donation page at cgaai.ca slash support. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The podcast is brought to you by our team in Ottawa. And thanks go to our producer, Charlotte Duval-Antoine, and Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Dave Perry, and thanks for listening to this episode of Defense Deconstructed.